be with you here again uh, for the next couple weeks as Pastor Joel is uh, taking a little summer vacation. I'm happy, happy to be here and uh, get reacquainted once again and spend more time uh, together with you. We've been uh, blessed this past few weeks, was, or at least the past week. I'd say it's some pretty decent weather. I mean, we hear, especially when you hear of heat waves across the country and floods in different places leading to deaths, we've been blessed and God has been kind to us and good to us. Yesterday was just uh, an incredible day, beautiful day. Great day for for a bike ride. In fact, uh, my son and I and my wife and our two oldest daughters, we all took part in a, a bike ride in LaGrange County that was having a little bike bike ride. Just a beautiful, nice, cool morning out riding in, in Amish country around lakes and fields. There's... Tis the season for many bike rides. In fact, up in Michigan, uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation was having a, like a three-day bike ride across across the state. And yesterday morning, yesterday morning, at about eleven o'clock, somebody driving an SUV plowed into a group of, of riders who were on a Make-A-Wish ride. Killing one person instantly. Uh, another person died shortly thereafter in the hospital. And three other bike riders are in the hospital with, with serious injuries. At 11 in the morning, a person who was thereafter arrested for being intoxicated at 11 in the morning. Intoxicated. And that's decade or so, his life, and everybody connected with his life, you say, well, that's, thank, thank goodness I'm not a drunk driver. Thank goodness I don't use marijuana. Well, he actually killed them because he was trying to pass somebody in front of him. He just was went in the other lane to pass somebody. So whether he killed them because he was intoxicated or whether he killed them because he was, maybe he was just impatient. And that, that hits me a little bit closer because there's times when I like... Let's move things along here. But decisions that he made, whether or she, the driver made that morning, whether to fill the body with substances that make judgment impossible or hinder judgment greatly, or just being impatient and saying, I need to get there a minute and a half earlier than what I'm going to get there if I just wait behind this car. Two people are dead. Why do things like that happen? Well, we actually read about why things like that happen in, in our text this morning, which is from the book of James uh, in, in chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. We'll read. The Word of God says, Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then 
desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Holy Father, we, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> we thank you that your word is truth. Lord, we thank you that your word tells the truth about us and that your word tells the truth about you. Father, we pray that your spirit who breathe out this word from you through the Apostle James would open up our hearts to, to receive the truth of this word to apply it as your spirit would have us to do and to live the words that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just looking at, at verses, verses 13 and, and 14, it is not hard to see what the key word of these verses is. It occurs in four different, in four different times and in different forms, but tempted. Right? The verb. Let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted five times. I'm sorry, I missed one. Tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So obviously if we're going to hear what this word says to us, we are going to be talking about temptation. What is temptation? Well, we see here what temptation is in, in the terms of James. Temptation is that which takes a hold of our lusts and desires, or rather is embraced by our lusts and desires, and, and grows into something. Grows into sin. It is the picture here, lured and enticed, is, is really takes us back and, and puts us in the fishing picture. Lured and enticed. And it's the idea of, of hooking the worm, hooking, worming the hook, baiting the hook, and then catching. And that is what temptation is. Right? There's this nice squiggly worm, if we were a fish, I suppose, on a hook. And what do we see? We see the worm. We see a meal. Something that we desire something that we think will give us pleasure, or something that we think will help us along the day, but we pay no attention to the hook and the string leading to the hook, or we don't see the net around it. We are baited, trapped, and led away. What is the source of temptation? Well, the text tells us clearly what temptation the source of temptation is not. The source of temptation is not who? God. Let no one say when, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So we, we cannot say that. And we cannot say that because God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God cannot tempt us 
with evil because temptation leads to sin. And what is sin? The, the confession, the catechism tells us that sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of any law of God given as a rule to the reasonable creature. What is sin? Sin is against God. Sin is against God's nature. Sin is against God's law. Does it make sense for God to want people to violate his nature? Does it make sense for God to want people to violate his law, his commands? Would, would God give a law and then say, try to bring us into a situation where we want to dis disobey it? That does not make a lot of sense because of what sin is. But it also doesn't make a lot of sense because of who God is. Who is God? Again, the Shorter Catechism reminds us that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And that is what we see in, in this passage. God cannot be tempted with evil. So there, in his, in his nature, God is good in his nature. God is not tempted toward evil. But also in his action toward us. We see it stated in the following verses, in verse 17 in particular. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good in his nature. Unchangeably good, as the Shorter Catechism reminds us, and as James 1.17 reminds us. And because he is unchangeably good and faithfully good, he does not put his children, dearly beloved brothers, as James would call us, into a situation that would lead us to sin that would lead us to death. But there is somewhat of a, a little bit of an issue, and it's a little bit of an issue in this context. We, verses we didn't read, but look at James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The, the problem that we have is that this, these words, trial, in verses 2 and 12, is essentially the exact same word as the word tempted, or temptation, in verses 13 and 14. It's just the noun and the verb. It's like confer and conference, or appoint and appointment. But it's the same word. So this, this brings up a problem because we know that God does trial his people. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus trialed Philip. In John chapter 6, 
when Jesus was surrounded by the multitudes and he knew that they needed a meal, Jesus said to, to Philip, where are we going to get all the food to feed these, pe these people? And the Apostle John uses this, this word, trial. Tempted. Tempted Philip to see what he would say. We know that God trials his people because Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham was tried by God when he offered up Isaac. So God trials his people. Trials, testings, come. 1 Peter 4.12 tells us not to think they are strange. And not, it's not just that they come. It's, the Bible tells us we, we should expect trials, testings. And we should not be su surprised when they do come. <laughs> we should be surprised when they don't come. Whether God sends testing or leads us into testing or tests, struggle and adversity are, are normal in our life. Right? As it says in Job, we are born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. And whether or not struggle and adversity come directly from God, they are purposeful. They are purposeful. In verse 2, they produce something. Trials, tests produce steadfastness. In verse 4, steadfastness have it, has its full effect that we may be perfect and complete or mature lacking in nothing. It helps us grow up, gets, makes us bigger and stronger. Right? How do you get bigger and stronger muscles? By trying them, by lifting weights. And in verse 12, trials produce in us and have the result of, of being rewarded with the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But there is a testing, there is a trial that is not from God, and which for which God claims no responsibility, and for which no responsibility to God can be assigned. The temptation to sin, even though it is the same word. So, I mean, so what is the difference? Right? I mean, are we just playing gymnastics with words here? I mean, are we just playing games? The difference is in, is in their end. Yes, they are the same word, but they are radically different in their end. Right? In verses 2, 2 through 4, in verses 12, we see the end, the purpose, the goal, the reason for trials and tests that God puts his people through is this, these aspects of, of maturity, of steadfastness, of demonstrating to us and to those around us the truthfulness of our faith and our love for God. That is the purpose and the end of trials and tests that God puts his people through. But the purpose and the end of temptations are radically different. Right? The purpose and the end of temptations is what? Sin. And sin, when it is grown, leads forth to death. So the source of the source of temptation when in life when we are tempted to sin that's not coming from God 
God does not want that for us. Rather, the source of temptation is stated for us clearly in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his what? His own his own desire. Now when we hear the word desire or the King James writes lusts, you know, immediately we think of probably we, we tend to run toward sexual sins. But here are some of the desires that, that James talks about. When we're talking about desires, what are we talking about? Starts off really quick in verse 19, talking about anger. Uh-oh. Anger. That to judge people in certain ways by appearance only because of the benefit you think that means to you or the benefit you think that that puts in your group. Quarrels. The desire of, or the desire is fueled and, and demonstrated by an uncontrolled tongue, obviously throughout the book of James. Cursing in chapter 3. That is a desire James talks about. Speaking evil against one another in 4.11. Grumbling against one another in 5.9. Flippant speech, just using words meaninglessly. We're not thinking about what we say. In chapter 5, verse 12. These are desires that lead to sin, that lead to death. Being unmerciful. Hoarding riches. Being worldly. In chapter 4. The desire to fit into the world and to look like you belong to the world. To not be out of place because of Christ's call on you. All of these desires. These desires that, that you have lead to sin, which... Leads, leads to death. Which, which is obviously the bad thing about temptation. It is this cycle of desire, sin, and death. James seems to be latching on to, to this Old Testament idea that we see in Psalms. Psalm 714, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. In Job 15.35, they conceive trouble and give birth to evil, and their womb prepares deceit. Desire leads to sin, and sin leads to death. This is the pattern we see from the very beginning. Literally, from the very beginning. When Eve saw the fruit and desired it. And what did she do after she desired it and, and gave motion to her desire, she sinned. She took and ate and gave some to her husband with her, and Adam took and ate. And what is the result of this sin? Death. In the life of David, out on his roof, just relaxing one evening, sees a woman purifying herself from her impurity, desires her, and takes her. And what is the result of David's sin? Death. Death to the woman's husband. Death to the child that was born because of David's adultery. Death throughout David's family, as is 
sons killed each other, and sought to kill David. Destruction, misery. Temptation promises pleasure, and it promises satisfaction. And the problem is, it gives it. It fulfills it. It does what it says it is going to do. But all along, there is sort of, you know, there's the fine print at the end of the user agreement that, that we just scroll through and check and we don't really read. By the way, this is death, agreeing to this terms of service. So thinking back to that man or woman in Ionia County, Michigan, who killed two people. Did that person wake up in the morning having the intention to kill two people? No. But somewhere along the day, the desires kicked in. I desire this substance to overwhelm my body. Or even if it wasn't the substance that, that clouded the judgment, that blinded him to what was coming, I desire to get past this vehicle so I can get somewhere a minute and a half later. The desires took control and led to sin, and which led to death. So the question is, this is pretty serious. <laughs> I mean, death, sin, temptation. I mean, right, we're talking about something that we all still face. James is writing to brothers. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers. Verse 16, my beloved brothers, the family. So what are we supposed to do? How do we deal with temptation? I'm going to give you three beliefs that we have to have. Three things that we have to believe are true, and then three things we have to do in response to those beliefs. Now, the three things that I'm going to say we have to believe are not originally are, are not original with me, but they're original to, to a pastor in Chicago named Erwin Lutzer, but I think they fit this text, and that they come here. They come, they are seen in this text. So first, three ground rules. If, if we're going to face, overcome temptation, what must we believe is true? First, you must believe that you are fully responsible for your behavior. What did we read in verse 14? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We must stop playing the blame game. Now, hold on a minute. Is, is, this, is this realistic? I've lost my, There it is. Is this realistic? Because we just sang in the song right before this, when Satan tempts me, to despair. But I'm here telling you that you are responsible for your behavior. And I'm not... 
And I, I don't think I'm the one telling you this. I think James is telling you this when he says, you are being tempted by your own desire. Does James, does James say, well, you shouldn't be singing this song? No. James recognizes in chapter 4 in particular that, that temptation comes from outside of us, the world. The world impacts us, tempts us to sin. And James recognizes that Satan does tempt us. In chapter 4, 8, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what is James saying? James is not saying, he's not excluding the environment and its impact upon us and temptation, its pulls towards sin. He's not excluding the realm of Satan and demons, spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. But what, is he, what does he say? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The world and the devil are only successful when they are successful in tempting us because of our desires. Your, your pastor and I have known each other since high school. And I hate to admit it, but that... I mean, we graduated in 1993, and I don't even want to do the math. I mean, that's getting close to 30 years. And we, we've, we've known each other since freshmen, so that's getting closer to 35 years. Your pastor and I were not, at that time, or in, during our high school years, the holy men of God. <clears throat> I jest. We, are not, we were not what we are today. Praise the Lord. We did things that we are both ashamed of. We sinned. But your pastor and I were never, we were never together with our other friends on a Friday night. It's like, guys, let's go to the grocery store and let's buy all the broccoli they have and let's just pig out on broccoli. Let's just be gluttons on broccoli. Let's go to Barton's and just go in there and let's just steal all their cauliflower. Yeah, it might be fun. <coughs> Eat it, have some, we'll steam it, have some cauliflower. Why? <laughs> well, personally, I mean, maybe Joel had those temptations, but I know as a group we never had them, and I could never be tempted in that way. Right? Satan could never tempt me to be a glutton on broccoli. Satan could never tempt me to be a glutton on cauliflower. Why? Because I have no desire. I mean, I'll eat broccoli. I, I will. But cauliflower, I will not. I have no desire for broccoli and cauliflower. So, yes, temptations do come from without. But what, what, is, what is the reason for success of temptation? There's something wrong in me. I like broccoli. That is something wrong. <laughs> my desires, my passions are warped. As you know, I don't know if Rex was just tuned in to what the text I was preaching on, but talking about the affections, and we'll return to it. My affections, your affections are warped to prefer 
to place enjoyment in something that it should not place enjoyment in, or to put too much enjoyment in something that it should not place enjoyment in. Right? Even if you enjoy broccoli, to go out and be gluttonous on broccoli is a sin. For me, it would be, uh, you know, what do I really like to eat? Lasagna. Right, let's go to let's go to Antonio's and just order lasagna. Five plates of lasagna. That would be sin. If we're talking about food, you are responsible for your behavior because is because even if it is coming from the devil or the world, that temptation is latching onto something in you that is resulting in sin. So the first thing we have to believe is true. We have to believe James 1.14, that when you are tempted, you are lured and enticed by your own desires. There must be an acceptance of personal responsibility. As long as there is no acceptance of personal responsibility, there is no hope of deliverance. Right? Because the problem is with, with blaming it on the world is that the world is not going to change. Your boss is, is not going to change. Your coworker is not going to change. <clears throat> Your situation is going to be what it is. The problem with blaming it on the devil is the devil is not going to change. He is going to be the devil. The problem with blaming it on your DNA is that your DNA is not going to change. It is what it is. Personal responsibility. Secondly, there must be the belief and the acceptance that God is good, which is something we've, we've already talked about somewhat. But God is good. We see it, again, reminding ourselves of what we've, some of what we've already said negatively in verse 13. God is not tempted with evil because God cannot be tempted with evil. And so he himself tempts no one. God, temptation is an impulse to sin, and God does not have these impulses to sin. So it is impossible for him to plot artemize as well. But positively, we, we see it again in verse, verse 17 and 18. We see that God is good in verse 17 invariably. God's goodness does not change. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's goodness is unalterable. God is not tired after a long day of work. God is not frustrated after dealing with, with traffic or about after looking at his bank account. God's Affections, God's love toward his people is not constrained by anything outside of him. God is good without change, without fail. God is good invariably. And God is good intentionally. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
Right? God has already demonstrated his goodness toward us by giving us life of his own will. Do not think that God would somehow want to see you fail, that God would somehow, or for some reason, want to see you sin, because God is, is good. He does not tempt with evil. And on the opposite end, he gives good things. Thirdly, the, the, the foundational ground rule belief we must have is that deliverance is possible. And I think we see that in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. There's, there's room for that here. Right? Deceived about what? Well, first of all, about this aspect of temptation, that, that temptation comes from God. But also this aspect that, that once temptation has begun, that, that the process is somehow, that it, that it becomes this inextractable path that we, that we can't get out of, that once, that, that once we're on it. That, that it's hopeless, that, that my temptation, my situation is, is hopeless. But we see another aspect of that, another indication towards this, that the deliverance is possible, I think, in verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." When do you believe that God does not want you to sin? Do you believe that God is good towards you? If, if you believe that, then, then you must believe this, that, that deliverance is possible. So the, the three beliefs, the, the change in mind, set that we must have. It's my fault. I am responsible for my sin because my desires are wrong. I desire the wrong things or desire, or I desire things that are wrong, but I desire them wrongly. I desire to use them wrongly. I must believe that God is good, that, that God does not want me to sin. And that God's goodness is such that, that there is a way out, that deliverance is possible. That there is no temptation that has taken me, but is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow me to be tempted above my ability or your ability. I must believe that the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly, knows how to deliver and rescue the godly from trials, temptations. Second Peter two nine. So those are the three beliefs, and then the three, the three actions. Number one, following exactly and immediately after believing that deliverance is possible, accept God's good gift. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, about temptation, where it comes from or where it leads. Do not be deceived by, by believing there's no way out, but rather every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, 
He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Accept God's good gift. The good gift here is presented to us as the word of truth which has brought us forth. The word of truth we see in Ephesians 1.13 is a shorthand basically for, for the gospel. We must accept the gospel. The full gospel. The full gospel. Not just, we, we cannot view the gospel just as something in the past transaction that has happened and, and my sins are forgiven and, and that's all Jesus was really concerned about. Well, my sins are forgiven and now we'll see you when you die. Not just that Jesus died for our sins. No, but that he has been raised and has risen for our justification. They are the verses and the truths that we read about in our assurance of forgiveness in Hebrews chapter 2. That we have, indeed, and as we sang about him before the throne of God, a great high priest above that we turn to in our time of need. Is temptation a time of need? Do we need God's help when we are tempted? Yes, so we accept God's good gift of of the gospel, of a Savior who is risen to God's right hand, who is exalted, and who ever lives to make intercession for us. Call out to your merciful and faithful high priest. He will give you aid. Accept his good gift. Turn to him, believing that deliverance is possible. Knowing the Father's goodness. Knowing that you have no help within yourself. And that it must come from Christ. Secondly, there must be a, a reordering of your affections. Of your desires. If, right, if your desires are what is wrong, if your desires are what temptation is leading, grasping onto, it is the desires that must be reordered. And we see that particularly in verse 12. Blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who obey him. What does it say? Love. This, this crown of life is, is the victor's crown, right? It's not the royal crown of the king. It's, it's the victor's crown of the, of the athlete who has won the competition, won, won the race, fought the fight, the battles won. And what is the source of this victory? Those who keep the rules better, those who obey their parents, those who drive the speed limit. Who is it given to? Those who love him. Now, this, this is the book of James. So what is what kind of love are we talking about? Obviously, well, we're talking about a love that is obedient. Right? As, as James will say very shortly after this, these verses and verses, verses 22 and following, words that we know well, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So 
Is James concerned about, as, as Rex reminded us, is James concerned about a knowledge of the word divorce from action? No. He's not concerned about, yes, he is concerned about that. He's not satisfied with a knowledge, divorce from action. And even just as familiar, right, in chapter 2, his, his great section on faith. Faith and works. Right? Is in, in James's way of thinking, is there a way of having faith without having works? No. So this, so when, when we, when you hear me say, when you hear James say that this crown of life is promised to all who love him, we're not saying that, that obedience is out of you, right? Because if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Someone said once. But where does this obedience come from? Where do we find the fuel to obey? Just as we find fuel to sin from our own desires, the fuel, the fuel for obedience comes from what? A, des a desire. A love for God. The reordering of affections. We, we must train ourselves with the aid of the Spirit to say, yeah, if I look at this website, I'm going to feel good about myself for a little bit. Yeah, if I blow some steam and yell at this jerk, I'm going to feel good for a minute. Sin will make me feel good for a minute. Instead, we must, we must say, no, there's a greater affection. There's a greater desire. And because we're wrapped in this, this temporal flesh and blood and surrounded by temp, temporal and contemporary pressures, and because it's so hard to see the immediate payoff of, of loving God, of obeying, of being patient, of waiting, of committing our soul to the judge who judges rightly, it's easy for us to say, I'm going to take the quick way out, the easy way out, the way that makes me feel good now. There must be a, a reordering of affections. And then with, with these two things in mind, the accepting of God's good gift the turning to Christ, the reordering of affections of saying that that my life needs to be ordered by love for God. There's it's, it sounds simplistic and it sounds moralistic, but I hope enough has been said. I hope even if it hasn't been said well enough and enough that the Spirit will give you understanding that it's not being simplistic and moralistic. You have to do what is right. You just have to do what is right. And whether it's that old sketch of Bob Newhart in the office, the counseling office saying, just stop it! Right? Stop it! Or whether it's Nike saying, just do it! Or whether it's Yoda saying, there is no try, there is do or do not. Do it! Do good! Don't do bad! 
Why? Because James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Your desires have physical manifestations. They show themselves. Desire brings forth sin, an action. Whether it's a word or an action. And a necessary component to resisting temptation is changing your desires. But along with changing your desires, ordering your affections, there must be physical changes too. Right? You, you can't be the person who says, man, I would do anything to lose 15 pounds. I mean, except diet and exercise. <laughs> right? It, it doesn't do any good to have, to have a collection of Whole Foods organic cookbooks there on your shelf, looking at them wistfully as you eat your double cheeseburger with bacon and double hot fudge sundae for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It doesn't do any good. right? You can fill your favorites and all of your likes of your Instagram feeds with beautiful, healthy recipes. And it doesn't do you any good unless you do it. Change is not going to come unless you do something. Again, it's, it's not a doing something for the sake of, of moralism. It is a doing something fueled by a turning to God, believing that he is good, believing that he desires the best for you. It is a doing something, accepting his good gift of Christ and his work on your behalf. Christ did not just save you as you've talked about recently in your Sunday School Lessons from Victor, to save you from, from the penalty of sin. Someday, Christ died and is risen again to save you from the practice of sin. Every day. So hopefully in, in these three things that we must change in our, in our thinking, that, that I'm responsible, that God is good, that deliverance is possible. And these three actions... We see what repentance is. It's not just a change of mind. It is a change of life made of hundreds and thousands of daily desires and decisions. And unless your desires and decisions are motivated by love and trust and oriented towards steadfast obedience, your desires will lead you where they want to take you, which is to sin and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good gift. We thank you for the word of truth that tells us about this good gift. That you have sent your Son into the world to save sinners. Lord, we thank you that the salvation that you offer in Jesus Christ is a full and deep salvation. Not an empty, shallow salvation that just glances at sin and thinks nothing of it, but a, a deep salvation that, that comes into our heart by your Holy Spirit to root out our sinful desires and to replace them with loving desires, a desire to love you, a desire to obey you, a desire to turn to Christ when we are tempted. 
a desire and faith that believes that you do not wish us to sin, that believes that you do offer the way of escape. Lord, we thank you for the promise of a great and faithful and merciful high priest. Lord, it, it blows my mind that Jesus is praying for us that Jesus intercedes for us. Oh, you're a great God, Lord. You're a good, good God. Invariably, unchangingly toward us. Thank you, Lord, for your gifts of mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.